James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... Wilson paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. So, he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. Wow. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have two very special guests. We have Kai McKeon, who is one-third of the three-man weave. And we have Connor Hope from Heat Check. Um, you know, two of the greatest college basketball minds there are. I'm super excited to have both these guys on. I gave them a whole slew of topics we're going to be discussing today. So, gentlemen, uh, just so you are not talking over each other, Kai, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having us. Of course. Connor, how are you doing today? Glad I can pull the average intelligence of this conversation a bit down. But uh, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So, I wanted to... As I said, this is the second segment of my college basketball preview with college basketball, I think, 11 days away now at this point. Mm -hmm. We're getting close. And I I wanted to have these two gentlemen on together because, the well, I want to say the one thing they have in common. One of the many things they have in common is the fact that they just both wrote for the Almanac. So I'm sure if you're on Twitter, you follow these guys on Twitter, you follow just basically any big college basketball analyst, I'm sure you're familiar with what the Almanac is. The Almanac, essentially, the guys that field a 68, he checked three-man weave, verbal commits. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but I'm sure I am. They all basically came together. And again, you guys can probably explain this better than I can. So if there's anything you need to add on, feel free to jump in. Um, To essentially make this yield, exactly what it sounds like, an Almanac, a yearbook for this upcoming college basketball season. Over 13,000 words, covers all, all 363 teams. And I wanted to dig a little bit into it. So that's why I want to have these two gentlemen on. So what do you guys think? Did I pretty much cover that? You got it, man. Yeah, the Almanac is, uh, yeah, College Basketball Preview Magazine. It's uh, most comprehensive one on the market, in our opinion. And we had a lot of fun writing it and uh, spent a lot of hours on it, too. Oh, how was that experience? I mean, I I know, like, especially both you guys have, like, your sites, like the Three Man Weave, Mm -hmm. um, Heat Check. You guys do a lot of writing for your sites. So this time, especially with Three Man Weave, I know you guys used to do like your top 100 players, your conference breakdowns, and you're still doing mm-hmm. that in podcast form, but you're not really running that on the site, at least not that I've noticed. So right. it seems yes. like you're now doing that, just the almanac is where you could find that. Yeah, exactly. Well, basically, we wanted to get paid uh, for what yeah, we were doing. Exactly, as you should. <laughs> it works phenomenal, both you guys. Uh, thank you. No, it, it was fun working collaboratively with Heat Check, with Verbal Commits, with Field of 68. It was a fun process, and we got to talk to a bunch of coaches, and that was um, an experience that w- that just made it a, wh- a whole lot better, made our previews better, too, I think. Of course. Um, so forgive me. I have this written down, but I can't seem to find it. Connor, I believe you cover the big sky. The the big sky in the big west, yeah. Big sky and big west. That's what it was. And Kai, you covered um again, remind me. Yep. A ten, uh summit, a sun, and uh gosh, one other one. Can't even remember. <laughs> It'll come to me. Okay. Um uh, Missouri Valley. Jeez. Missouri Valley, exactly. My favorite okay. league. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I do want to talk about you guys also wrote um a few not articles, but a few topic lines like Kai, as a three-man weave, they wrote the 25 storylines to watch, and Connor wrote about the top transfers. So we're going to get that, to that in a second, but the name of the Almanac is the Almanac, the year, the big. And I, I think that is the most representative name that it could have gotten because, you know, there's Drew Time, Trace Jackson Davis, Oscar Shibwe, Hunter Dickinson, like, Armado uh, uh, Baycott. Mm-hmm. It's literally like, the year of the big. And it's ironic because, and again, I had the guys from No Ceilings on yesterday. You guys could listen to that wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And we we talked about how, you know, big men in the NBA are starting to fade a little bit. It, in terms of like wings are the most important thing nowadays, mm-hmm. then those guards, then those big men. But in college basketball, the big man is still really dominating 
at least in the regular season. I'm still a big proponent that if you have a great backcourt, you do better in March Madness. Mm-hmm. But it's literally the year of the big. So that's exactly why it's named that. So um, moving on, Connor, top transfers you have um, or you wrote for the Almanac. My first question to you is, Obviously, the transfer portal is something like we haven't really seen how it is before because players no longer have to sit out. Most of them are auto-eligible. So, it again, I'm an NBA front office podcast, so it reminds me of NBA free agency in a sense. Well, like, it's literally a free-for-all. Like, guys, okay, I want to train. Except those, they're not tied to any contracts, really. So, I, that's my first question. How has the transfer portal, you know, kind of shaken up college basketball? I mean, it's it's just become another avenue, you know, traditionally, and, and I'm talking like probably half a decade or more ago, everything was freshman, freshman, freshman. If you don't hit on those top recruits, you have to develop your talent. Um, now you've got this situation where you can hit on two different fronts, freshmen and transfers um, to get top level talent. You know, it, it might seem like this hurts the mid-majors because the mid-majors get those underrated freshman recruits. They build them up, then they transfer to those big schools. But what we've seen on the flip side is some of these Peter Kiss type players who were top player or not top players. They were end of the bench players at their schools in high major conferences transfer to these lower major conferences, become stars and essentially carry their team to an NCAA berth, which is not only just beneficial in that their team's winning now, but also financially beneficial to that team as well. So you're seeing a little bit of a back and forth. Obviously, it helps those top schools who who don't hit on certain recruits. They, they can go after some of these, you know, Memphis got Kendrick Davis, right? And, and I think he was, I believe, our number one. number one. Brian and I were number one on the list. Um, and, and, I, and I just think that, that that's just one additional avenue for some of these teams to rebuild immediately, right? You don't have to rely on development all that much when you're entering, when you're grabbing, you know, juniors and seniors that have been in college for two to three years. Um, What it does do is it prevents, I feel like it might prevent some coaches, the extra leeway that came, that comes with taking over a program that's, you know, on the brink of, of falling off. Um, because you no longer get the benefit of, of, you know, four to five years, get all your guys and, and year four or year five is when you really need a hit. Now it's like you get two or three, you really need to start showing really good improvement. So I feel like when people say it's bad for the coaches, good for the product. I mean, that's exactly it, right? Right. You can put together really good teams, but coaches who take over struggling programs, have less of, of a, you know, runway to actually build those programs up. So while we're on the topic of transfer, I'm going to put both you guys on the spot a little bit. Just give me one or two names that, you know, transferred and, you know, you really like the fit of where that player went. For example, I actually have three names written down. So I'll give mine real quick. I have Tyrese Hunter, who goes from Iowa State to Texas, just because Chris Beard's going to utilize his defense, you know, the same way Iowa State did his criminal defense. Baylor Shireman, I think Creighton desperately needed the elite shooting that he provides. And then my third was Mark Sears, just because I like the way Nate Oates mm-hmm. uses point guards. And with Javon Quinterly out, you know, he's going to play a big role. So is there anybody that you guys, you know, really like the fit that, well, this guy transferred here, that's a perfect fit for them. He's really going to thrive in that environment. So, Connor, I'll start with you since, you know, you're the transfer guy with the Almanac. So, is there anybody that sticks out to you? I mean, Mark Sears was going to be my number one just okay. because Javon Quinterly's gone. They needed that playmaker to make that kind of three and downhill layup offense work. And I think Mark Sears fits that really well. The other two I really like are also on my list in that 10 to fit or in, on Brian and I's list, that 10 to 15 range. I really like the fit of Darian Trammell going to San Diego state. Excellent. I mean, he's been one of the best defenders in every league he's, he's been in from high school to Juco to the whack. Like he's been a great defender at all levels. And I feel like adding his offense to an already great defensive team in, in San Diego state, he's going to be um, the best 
offensive player that Matt Bradley's ever played with. So it's, it's a good, um, it's a good fit there. The other one's Kyle Lofton going to Florida. Um, Todd Golden needed a really solid defending, but also good kind of playmaking guard to make his offense work in year one. And I feel like he hit it right on the head, getting Kyle Lofton from St. Bonaventure because, you know, he wasn't going to get a high major guard. I feel like in year one at Florida, um, but going after one of the top mid-major guards in the country last year uh, was a perfect start to the Todd Golden era in Gainesville. Yep, and Florida's one of the teams, when we do our conference previews, they're definitely one of the teams I want to hit on. So mm-hmm. before we get too deep into the weeds, Kai, what about you? Is there any um, prospects that really stick out to you? Or not, excuse me, transfers that really stick out to you? Yeah, definitely. Connor had some good ones there. Uh, Pete Nance is an obvious one for me yeah. for North Carolina. Manic replacements. Exactly. He's a perfect replacement for uh, Manic. Does a lot of the same things. Might give them a little bit more defensively even. Um, so he's great. I think Terrence Shannon going to Illinois is huge. They need another guard scorer, and he fills that role. And then Manny Bates for Butler. Uh, maybe a guy that's getting overlooked a little bit. Uh, they desperately needed a rim protector. He provides that. He missed last season uh, with an injury for NC State. And uh, by all accounts, he's healthy, unlike the rest of their team. Uh, but he's going to be an all-conference, all-defense level guy in the Big East. Okay. So, again, if you guys want to check out the list of transfers, go buy the Almanac regardless. It's definitely worth the $20 that you would pay for it. But, as I said, Connor and Brian from Heat Check put together the 25 transfers to watch. We just named a whole bunch slew of them for you guys, but... I mean, these transfers are extensive nowadays. There was a whole slew of really good guys to transfer. So, Kai, what I wanted to bring up was your 25 storylines. Bear with me. Okay, I pulled it up. So, the main one, obviously, which was your number one, is New Kings in the Castle. You know, Jay Wright retired. Coach K retired. The year before that, Roy Williams retired. We see Mm -hmm. all these blue bloods, these major schools undergoing coaching changes and i spoke with the guys from no ceilings a little bit about this yesterday with cam whitmore and it was like oh i wish cam whitmore got to play for jay wright just because of right, how right. well jay wright prepares guys for the nba so i mean that is nba draft aside how much i mean hugh hubert davis took unc to the championship in his first year right. and i know like i was listening to the field of 68 acc preview and they're not high on duke and we're going to get into that in a second when we talk about the ACC. But they had Virginia, I think, ranked number two ahead of Duke in mm. their ACC preview because they said, look, it's all freshmen. They don't know how to defend, and they have a rookie head coach. So, And I think for Kyle Neptune, he had Fordham had a hell of a season considering what they've been mm. recently, but Jay Wright might have been the best coach in the country or just about. So yeah. well, my, my first question in that storyline is, how do you think these coaching changes are going to impact college basketball? Uh, well, college basketball would be fine, but, uh, it's obviously going to well, miss program specifically. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Duke first, um, you know, you're going to miss coach K, but it's such an institution. Now there's so much momentum from NBA guys now that went to Duke that it's sort of become its own thing, uh, aside from coach K. Whereas I think maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have said that coach K left Duke. Duke probably would have gone back down to a normal school. Right but they are a legit blue blood. Now they're not going anywhere. Shire's a smart guy. Um, they'll be just fine. They have, you know, the best freshman in the country, uh, freshman class Villanova. I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical about, mm-hmm. uh, I agree. Jay Wright's incredible. They don't quite have the same sort of history, um, a, as a Duke and Kyle Neptune, you know, uh, probably uh, did a great job at Fordham. I'm just not totally convinced, especially this season when they're missing Justin Moore for most of the year, uh, and, and there's Whitmore's a lot, a thumb injury. and Whitmore's a thumb injury, a lot more question marks in that roster for me. Uh, that, get, that doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies. Okay. Connor, anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, he hit the nail on the head. I, I think with Villanova, what'll be interesting is how they do in big East play more so than early on, like early on. I, I, I I'll stop short of saying it'll be a struggle, but they're not going to be at full strength. They're not going to be fully together. They might even have a little bit, and Duke too, might even have a little bit of that Hubert Davis at UNC shake off the fact that he was an assistant coach and is now the head coach type of build to the season. But once they get full strength, once they hit big, big, big East play, we will see how good Villanova can be in March. Um, 
Creighton obviously is the heavy favorite to win the Big East, but I think of all the teams there, the one that's the closest to maybe kind of being able to turn it on once Big East play comes is still Villanova. Um, but but as as Kai said, like whenever you go from the top coach that the program has ever had to a long time assistant, there's a learning process. And I think with Duke, it might be less because the only player you really have to unlearn coach K as the head coach is Jeremy Roach. Everyone else is a freshman or transfer. And so it's going to be, I think a little bit quicker for Duke than Villanova who might be still in that Jay Wright grind with a lot of their uh, returning players. Okay. Then we we're talking about all these coaches retiring. So I just want to kind of tie that into one more of Kai, Jim, and Matt's. Obviously, again, they're the three-man weave. 25 storylines to watch. And I believe this was number three. And that was referring to Kentucky. You know, patience is growing thin in Lexington is the final sentence of that um, that little blurb you guys put. And, mm-hmm. you know, Kentucky hasn't made a final four in seven years. Last year is a two-seed. They lost to St. Peter's in the first round. So, again, I'm not going to put words in any of your guys' mouths. So that's why I just figured I'd have you on to ask you, Kai. Um, there's no chance John Calipari could lose his job, right? No, there's zero no. chance. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it must be nice to be at a program that expects Final Fours. And, and you course. get mad when you don't make a Final Four. Yeah. the, the Kentucky's fine. Uh, they could be in the Final Four this year. It's tough when you measure success by final fours, right? I, I think Kentucky's a fantastic program, obviously, right? They're top of the food chain when it comes to college basketball. So they're fine. It's a good storyline because the the national people like Kentucky and they like to watch them, you know, make or miss final fours. But um, Cal Party's fine. Not going anywhere. Okay. One more storyline for you guys. How has NIL, you know, kind of revolutionized college basketball? When NIL, I was always a big proponent of, you know, college athletes getting paid, Mm -hmm. and they should. Um, But my biggest concern about it was always that, especially in college football, like let's say Alabama and Clemson, and then obviously college basketball, Duke, UNC, Kansas, I thought that they would just dominate the recruiting and the transfers because they will just have so many more boosters and so much more to offer than the smaller programs do that, you know, they'll kind of take away from the competitiveness and do rich will just get richer. It doesn't seem like it's really going that way. So, I mean, just overall, Connor, I'll start with you this time. What's, what do you think of NIL? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think this, this, uh, this concern that it's just going to benefit the the top programs in recruiting. I mean, they were already dominating recruiting. Like the fact that Duke probably has the best recruiting class this year and Kentucky will definitely have the best recruiting class next year. I mean, it might be slightly better because of NIL, but like Duke and Kentucky have had the top recruiting classes so often that like you don't bat an eye. What it does do is it helps programs. I mean, if we're talking about Pro- programs using NIL funds to recruit talent like Texas A&M in football, like Arkansas in basketball, where now these athletes are looking at those programs, looking at those schools as places to be, but they also have the backing of boosters of companies in the area or companies owned by boosters, giving them a lot of money to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, my only concern with NIL and it was a concern from the beginning was that it was just a blanket kind of, it's going to happen. So let's just let, you know, it's the wild west of NIL. Um, and there's no real way of reining it back in where like, what's to stop. I'll use Arkansas as an example. What's to stop an Arkansas from having 17 players on their roster that would have been scholarship players under previous rules. And so now instead of 13 scholarship equivalent players, you have 17 scholarship equivalent players and there some of them might be willing to wait a year to get their chance to play. Um, but they're still getting that NIL money. Like those things I don't think were well thought out, but as far as how it's going to affect college basketball as a whole, you can still only play so many players and the top schools were already dominating recruiting and players still want the playing time because it gets them in front of scouts sooner. 
So I think that kind of self-regulates. Um, so those like examples where you go over what the presumed scholarship limit is, uh, to me are like the exception rather than the rule, but I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like we've seen the NIL kind of impact the transfer market, which guys from mid-majors or guys from lower and power six or power five conferences, they're going to transfer up anyway if they're able to. Mm-hmm. So like like Nigel Pack is a perfect example. He was being very heavily recruited by, I believe it was Purdue. And then Miami said, here, come take $400,000 to come here. <laughs> and he ended up there. So Kai, what's your opinion of NIL? I mean- yeah. Yeah. Positive. Positive. Um, I, what it also does, it keeps good players in school, right? Yeah. And it makes high school kids go to college and think twice about the G League and overtime elite. And if you get the better players coming to college, you increase the talent pool for everybody. And I talked to multiple mid-major, low-major coaches this past year, this past offseason, and they said, we're recruiting high school guys that we would never have gotten uh, pre-portal era, pre-NIL era, because uh, there is so much upper upper echelon talent going through the portal and, and using the NIL money that they, all of a sudden these seniors in high school that are three stars are going to lower majors. Um, so I think it helps everybody. Connor's right. The top teams are going to get their recruits anyways. Heck they're paying them already. Already anyways, <laughs> it doesn't really make a huge difference. Um, so I think it's good for everybody. Players benefit schools benefit, you know, social media sucks, but what are you going to do? And guys stayed in the, um, stayed in school this year, which you from the draft. I mean, yeah, look at exactly. May. Oscar Chibway, I believe is the one who said he, now he's a tricky situation because I believe he can't get paid in the U S that's why they did the Bahamas tour. So right. they could, yeah, but he literally said, I literally would make more money coming back to Kentucky than I would in the NBA. And he yeah. can't even make money in the U S under NIL. So that's that again, that's what happens when you're national player of the year. Yeah. So, um, okay. So basically now I want to talk about the power six conferences. Obviously we're not going to have time to talk about every team, but there are a few teams that I want to talk about. So <laughs> I'm going to start with the ACC. Obviously UNC is a preseason rank number one. And this brings me to a mailbag question that I got from one of my buddies, Tim. He basically asked me, you know, going back to, what was it? At the end of 2020, when UCLA went to the Final Four, when they were in the um, in the first four in March Madness, and then had that improbable run, Jalen Suggs hit the shot, we all know what happened, they lost. But they returned basically the whole team, and they were had a ton of hype around them going into last year. Oh, this team made a Final Four run, even though they barely made March Madness. So now they're returning everybody, you expect them to be great again, based off the March Madness run. UNC did a similar thing. Now they they were a nine seed or an eight seed, not a twelve seed like UCLA was. But mm-hmm. again, same thing. They struggled, ended up getting hot towards the end of the year, getting into the tournaments. There was a when they were losing to Pitt by forty points at halftime. None <laughs> of us thought they were going to make the tournament at the time. So, but I, I just preface that to say that they ended up having this improbable March Madness run, bring almost everybody back. Brought in Pete Nance to replace Mamek, so they essentially have the same starting five, if not better than what they had. And Pop Johnson missed a lot of the year last year. He's healthy now, so mm-hmm. they might be even better. So just all that. He basically wants to know, is UNC going to be this year's UCLA? Will they have all this hype they can live up to? Because quite frankly, they weren't that good last year and just got hot at the right time. Or is UNC a legitimate national title contender? So Kai, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, I think they're legit uh, national title contender. I, I think they're different than UCLA. That UCLA team, first of all, barely made the tournament. Second of all, should have lost in b- about every single round they played in yep. if it wasn't for the hot hand of, uh, geez, what's Johnny his name? Giant Juzang. Uh, they probably wouldn't have made it past Michigan State, right, in the play-in game. Yeah, that game went Where, overtime, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, Michigan State was winning, probably should have won that game. So if they lose that game, you don't talk about UCLA in the same light as you do the next year. Mm-hmm. There is a danger of using the tournament as a small sample size and using that as a prediction for the next year. But in UNC's case, they dominated everybody in the tournament. It wasn't even close. Marquette. They killed them. Baylor, they're up by 20 UCLA fine. St. Peter's they dominated them. Uh, The Duke game was impressive. Kansas game, even the national championship. They're impressive. So uh, just the way they handled themselves in the tournament versus UCLA gives me a little more confidence um uh, this year than I did half of the Bruins uh, last year. 
Yeah. And just with Hubert Davis, you know, coming in, it just, mm-hmm. it seems like with the new coach, I, I don't remember. I don't think that you yeah, take time, get clicking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Connor, what do you think of UNC? Is this another UCLA situation or do you think they're legit? Maybe if not number one, definitely, you know, ACC title winner and a legitimate national title contender. I mean, I, I have them number one. Um, I think they play a more efficient style. Granted, you could you can consider Caleb Love and RJ Davis inefficient players, but UCLA relied a lot on the mid-range in that tournament run. Johnny Juzang, Jaime Jaquez, Cody Riley couldn't miss from the mid-range. Mm-hmm. UNC shoots a lot of threes, a lot of layups. Uh, I think their four and five guys are better than UCLA's four and five guys last year, right? Pete Nance, Puff Johnson, I think are better than uh, UCLA's, which was like a combination of of Miles Johnson and Cody Riley and then Jalen Clark. Uh, so so you have that, that, you know, bouncing off of them. UCLA had a lot of injuries last year. Um, Peyton Watson was stuck behind those players who kept getting injured and never really lived up to his hype. And despite all that, we're still a top 10 team analytically at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And so even if UNC is UCLA, like I feel like because UCLA was so hyped, a top 10 finish, top 12 finish just wasn't acceptable, but they were still a top 10 to 12 team in the country last year when fully, especially when fully healthy. And so that's the floor for UNC and you can only go up from there. I think Hubert Davis in year two gets them to exceed that floor. Okay. So UNC, I think all three of us, again, I don't want to put words in about his mouth. I think we all agree. They're the team to be, I mean, Connor just said there was number one, but Kai, I'm assuming you had them winning the ACC or at least the preseason favorite to win the ACC. Preseason favorite to win the ACC. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then again, I'm not going to go through the whole preseason poll (laughs) rankings, but Duke number two, Virginia number three is interesting. They bring back the top six scores, eighty eight percent of the minutes from last year. They added um, Vander Please from Ohio, who's mm-hmm. actually named after Tony Bennett, ironically enough. So, oh, um, right? and they bring in a good recruiting class. They're always top ten defensively, according to Ken Palm, for seven straight years, except last year they were thirty sixth. So Virginia again, intriguing team. And the other team I want to discuss is Miami. And we could kind of just lump these two teams together. Miami, we just talked about Nigel Pack. And I I mentioned earlier how I'm a big proponent of teams making deep March Madness runs because of their guard play. And I just think the combination of Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack, and then they got the big guy, the um, Arkansas State. I'm completely blanking on this. Omir. Yep. Um, Between adding Omir, between adding Pack, getting Wong back, I really think this Miami team is one of the most slept on teams in the country. So, um, Kai, I'll start with you. What do you think between those two programs, Virginia and Miami? Uh, Virginia for me. And that's because I think Tony Bennett is a top 10, top five coach, and he has continuity this year. Um, with When he has guys in his program for a few years, that's when his teams really click and the system kind of takes over. Last season, Jaden Gardner, Armand Franklin, new to the program, Right. And they still were 12 and eight in the ACC analytically, probably his worst year in quite some time. But I think he laid a foundation for this season with experience. I like betting on Tony Bennett. The defense is going to be great. The offense probably improves as well. Beekman is a guy that everyone thinks is going to really take off this season. And then as for, for Miami, I think losing Augusti is huge. Uh, that guy did a lot for that team last season. I think Isaiah Wong is kind of a head case. Um, just observations of the way he plays and some of his reactions on the court. I think Omir is super overrated for the ACC. He's a six, seven, five man, and he just does not do well against top competition. Okay. Um, Connor, what are your opinions? Virginia, Miami, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go with Virginia, at least for this regular season. Um, I'm a big proponent, or I guess not even proponent, but I'm always skeptical of, of, Play, teams with a bunch of new players in a defensive-based system succeeding right away. I think it takes more time to get players to buy in to defensive-focused systems than offensive-focused systems, especially when they have a lot of talent and they want to showcase that offensive talent. Um, but Tony Bennett's, a, I, I would 
say probably lock him in as a top five coach in the country. Um, and so Virginia for me is one of those teams that they, I mean, in the polls, no, but by, you know, average fans who only remember last year for Virginia might be one of the more slept on teams in the country. Miami to me, I agree. They're just not going to be consistent enough to really compete for an ACC title. They are one of my favorite dart throws in terms of their odds for the national championship though. Like if you're looking for someone with deep odds, Miami has, I think plus 10,000 odds uh, to win, to win the national championship. But like you said, they have two really good scoring guards and, and Omir, I think can do enough in a six game stretch to get them there. Um, of all like the really long kind of 10,000 plus odd teams, um, Miami for me is, is probably the one I would pick, but I, I just think they're more likely going to finish. I don't know, somewhere in that four to six range in the ACC. Yeah. Miami, the biggest issue with them is just how small they are. As um, Kai just said, Omir might be a little overrated. We don't know. We played in a very small conference. And even him, he I think he's only like six, seven, six, eight, mm-hmm. maybe six, nine on a good day. They're not going to be a good rebounding team and what they really do. And in the Almanac, basically, it said what they lack in rebounding is they're going to make up for with turnover differential. So that yeah. they're really going to have to rely on that to. Yeah, that's what they did last year, right? They were the worst rebounding team in both ends yeah. in the ACC, basically. But. They had good guard play, and maybe that's what keeps them up this season. I just think Cam Augusti was super underrated. Okay, so let's move on to the Big 12. Now, the Big 12 is kind of solidified. There was some talk in the last few years that the Big 10 is the best conference in college basketball, but then every time March Madness came around, you know, they never really produced anybody outside of the Sweet 16. Um, uh, not Not literally, but... The Big 12, obviously Kansas and Baylor won the last two national championships. The tournament was canceled in 2020, and at the time, Kansas was the favorite to win it all in Vegas. And then 2019, Texas made the national championship, and 2018, Kansas made it. So in the last four tournaments, the Big 12 had a rep- oh, the In the national championship, the Big 12 had representation in it. So at this point, I, I do think they're the best um, conference in college basketball. So I, I guess my first question is, Connor, I'll start with you. Baylor or Kansas and why? Baylor, um, easily. And I and I think Baylor, I mean, we talk about nitpicking the the AP poll. The fact that Baylor is tied with Kansas, um, to me is is crazy. I get that Kansas won the national championship, but like they lost a ton from that team. Baylor is that team that like at the end of the year, we could be looking at a number one Baylor who's a favorite to win the national championship. And I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I like their guards. Uh, you know, I know Chamo Chacho is going to miss a good chunk of the beginning of the season, but once he gets back, I like their bigs. I think their four spot is probably the biggest question mark, but you've got really tough players to fill that four spot. So even if it's maybe not the most talented um, you at least have tough players that I think will buy in defensively to Baylor enough where that backcourt uh, can can carry the load offensively, and, and Keontae George I think can blossom into a true st- into a true star uh, in college basketball. Okay, and Kai, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. When both it, when Heat Check Hangout, who which Connor is the host of or one of the hosts of, they had Kai on, and basically they talked about dark horse championship just like connor talked about with miami at 10,001 who's like the dark horse to win the championship who has the best who do you like at the odds to win the national championship kai if i'm remembering correctly one of the teams you talked about were baylor mm-hmm. so are you also a baylor guy over kansas this year yeah i am i i love baylor uh you know kansas can be good again too they're kansas they're never bad uh but baylor yeah for all the reasons connor said they have a fantastic backcourt top five talent in George and then a super strong front court. Oh, and a top five coach in the country, Scott Drew. So there's, there's uh, a lot to like on Baylor. Okay. So then the other team I also want to mention TCU. Um, I believe they're ranked what 14th in the 14th in the AP poll. And I mean, they're bringing back most of their team last year. They're mm-hmm. bringing back the top six scores last year, but 
the argument that I've been seeing around is, oh, last year they wore a nine seed in March Madness and they bring back everyone who's a nine seed. I don't think it's going to be a nine seed again. So obviously that doesn't factor in continuity. That doesn't factor in a lot of things. The one thing that does worry me about them is last year in Ken Palm, they were 321st in the country in three-point shooting. And they lost their best shooter, who I believe he went to Creighton. Um, I'm blanking on his name, Francisco Fribello. Fribello, yeah. Fribello. Um, yeah. So I, I'm just, I'm not sure. Like, shooting is so important. And I actually had Matthew Winnick on last night, and I didn't release that episode yet, so I'm not going to spoil too much. But his thing was he was so down on so many teams because of the lack of shooting. So TCU, I don't know if that's an issue. I, I know there's continuity, but they almost beat Arizona last year in the tournament. So mm-hmm. I think they were better than the 90 they were ranked at. But, I mean, what's the opinion? Is 14 in the AP poll too high? I'm not sure where they are on Ken Palm. I could pull that up. But, uh, Kai, I'll start with you. Yeah, is it too high? I don't know. It's probably fair. Um, I think they're going to be really good. Last season, so uh, it was a, a lot of new pieces, right? They had a lot of transfers coming in. Uh, the team did not have a lot of continuity. So that's a feather in their cap, like you mentioned. I'm not really worried about the shooting. Uh, the main reason is they're the best offensive rebound team in the country. So... When when you're not a great shooting team, it helps to be the best rebounding team in the country. And they should be, again, or right there with Eddie Lampkin uh, up front. I also think guys like Mike Miles, uh, Chuck O'Banner are going to shoot better the season from three. Mike Miles is an All-American uh, preseason right now at, at, at point guard. It's a good place to start. And then Jamie Dixon is a coach I really respect. Uh, not many coaches in the country could have taken TCU to preseason number 14 in the country. It just hasn't happened in the program. I agree. Connor, what's your opinion, TCU? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a good spot. You know, Mike Miles, probably the best pure point guard in the conference. Um in the big in the Big 12 conference, not in the country, but um close to it in the country. Uh Eddie Lampkin, I think we can we can start to see from him, you know, somewhat of that jump that you tend to see with, with younger players um, as they get more accustomed to, to the system and to the college level. Um, good, good wings. Uh, good. Like you said, good rebounding team, good defensive team should have beaten Arizona last year. Um, and if, and if they make the sweet 16 and don't lose in overtime to, to Arizona, I think people are singing a much different tune on whether they're overrated or not entering the season than they are right now, which is, as Kai said, it's kind of unfair to judge a team based purely on on March, but that's just the way it is. Um, but I really like this team. I, I think their three-point shooting regresses. They have a really good point guard in a point guard-driven sport, um, and I think enough talent elsewhere on the floor to, to be really good in the conference. Okay, so let's move on to the Big East. Um, Creighton, similar to TCU, they're not bringing back as much, but they're bringing back, I believe, four starters. They're bringing back Sharif Mitchell, who ended the season with an injury, and then they added Baylor Shireman, who one of the best transfers in the country. So Creighton, let's see, I believe they're ranked either 10 or 11. They're ranked 9, excuse me. So same arguments. I mean, are they fairly ranked? Because last year, I think TCU, obviously they played a much tougher conference than Creighton does. So I think it's more important for them to have that continuity and bring back everyone. But what's the opinion on Creighton? I know Connor already said he thinks that they're the biggest favorite. I have a feeling Kai's going to say the same thing just because I don't think there's too much competition in the Big East. But mm-hmm. I, I that aside, is Creighton a national title contender this year? So, Connor, I'll start with you again. Mm-hmm. At their ceiling, yes. Um, I think it was, was Jim Root, who works with Kai at Three Man Weave, who pointed out just how inconsistent teams that we expect to make that drop jump from like mm-hmm. top, you know, 45 to 50 and Ken Palm into the top 10 is um, and how, you know, rare it is that they actually deliver on it. And we're expecting two teams. I mean, UNC didn't finish the season ranked that low, but we're expecting two teams to make significant jumps into the top 10 UNC and Creighton. Um, we're relying a lot on on a lot of improvement across the board. It's not one or two players we're we're relying on improvement. We're rely, we are relying on a lot of improvement across the board. Um and so really if everything hits, they're a national title contender. So I'll say yes, 
But I think of all the teams that we could consider national title title contenders at their ceiling, Creighton is the one that I have the I'm the most uneasy about calling them that because the one significant addition they make is Baylor Shireman. If you don't count Brian Nemhard coming back from his injury as a as an addition, um, but that offense needs to improve. Like their defense, they bought in defensively. They were really good defensively. That offense needs to improve across the board. And I think we started to see it at the end of last year, but we just need to see it continue. I feel like it's that way. Obviously, we're talking about creative. I feel like it's that way with a lot of teams that are either borderline nationally ranked or nationally ranked that, yeah, they already bought in defensively. Like obviously, Texas Tech, they're under Mark Adams, phenomenal defensively. TCU, same thing, phenomenal defensively. Still probably need him. We talked about that shooting already. Um, Iowa State, another one. So Creighton, I feel like, is in that grouping of teams that, like, if everything's clicking on offense, it's scary. So, Kai, what's your opinion of Creighton? National title contenders or not uh, quite yet? I wouldn't bet on him to win the title, no. Okay. Because uh, there's there's a couple things. for Compare them to TCU, right? They were on the same seed last year. TCU finished 30 spots higher in Kimpom in the regular season and at the end of the tournament uh, and bring back a similar production. Now the freshman to sophomore leaps is very intriguing for Creighton, but they're off their best offensive player last year is Ryan Hawkins. And he left uh, is Baylor Shireman just as good. Maybe uh, the defense will definitely be there. Defense translates from year to year more than offense. Uh, and Kalkbrenner is one of the best defenders in the country. Uh, so I do think the, the defense is good. Greg McDermott's a great coach. But I think it's a lot to ask for <clears throat> four, four freshman and sophomore leaps to happen all at once, right? Uh, you might get one or two, you might get one. And I don't think they're as clear-cut a favorite in the Big East as some might think. I think Villanova and Xavier are right there. I think UConn can win the Big East, too. I think it's a little bit more wide open. And I think with their defense, too, like their defense kept them in games. But I don't think their defense is on the same level as like a Texas Tech yeah. where their defense yeah. wins those games like mm-hmm. Texas Tech, San Diego State. I mean, even Iowa State last year could win a lot of like those 43 mm-hmm. to 42 games. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if Creighton's defense is quite on that level to to where we can they can handle a less than expected jump in their offensive efficiency. Okay, so for the Big Ten, I also want to talk about another team that I think is pretty intriguing defensively, and that's Illinois. Obviously, Kai just brought up Terrence Shannon, who transferred from Texas Tech to Illinois. Illinois is bringing back, or excuse me, Illinois had 86.1% of the scoring gone and 83.5% of the minutes gone. But they brought in Matthew Meyer from Baylor. They brought back Terrence Shannon, and or not brought back, they brought him in from Texas Tech. And I just feel like they might be one of the biggest wild cards in the nation because, like, sure, they have Coleman Hawkins, but they're not playing through Kofi, through a Kofi Coburn or an Ayu Desumi this year. I just feel like they're going to rely on being very switchable with all the interchangeable forwards they have on that team. Yeah. And I, I, I think they're the favorites to win the Big Ten. I, I think Indiana, Michigan, and Illinois are all pretty close. But, Kai, what's your opinion of Illinois? Yeah, Illinois is my pick to win the Big Ten. Um, I know everyone likes Indiana, but I love the Illinois roster. Um, I love Brad Underwood, so I'll get that out of the way first. But Coleman Hawkins was awesome at the at the beginning of the year when Coburn was out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Illinois played pretty well when Coburn was out of the lineup, too, because of that uh, lineup switchability, that versatility they have all of a sudden with him off the floor. As good as he was, the NBA was very familiar with plotting bigs, right, that kind of eat up space and can't really defend ball screens. Uh, and, and I love uh, the sophomores. I know Luke, Luke Goody's out for a little bit, but RJ Melendez is an yeah. awesome player. He's, he's going to break out. Meyer, Shannon. Meyer had a down year. Meyer was a preseason All-American last season. Yeah. I think people forget that. I think he can be incredibly good, an all-conference player. So, yeah, I'm very high in Illinois. Sky Clark, question mark. I know he had a pretty good scrimmage offseason. Um, hopefully he's good. If he's good, Illinois wins Big Ten, I think. Connor, what's your opinion? Who wins the Big Ten? I mean, the Big Ten is just, it's all wild cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only the only for sure thing is that Northwestern and Nebraska are not going to win the Big Ten. <laughs> but the entire conference is wild cards. Like I know people are high on Indiana. I'm not. I also have Illinois winning 
uh, the Big Ten. I think Sky Clark might be the most important freshman in the country this year because as he goes, Illinois will go. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the additions, you know, where Indiana really didn't make any key additions outside of Hood Shafino. Illinois went out and grabbed some really good transfers. Um, and then you, I mean, like you said, they, they, the conference doesn't have a national title contender and they might not even have a tier two team nationally, which I think is going to make it really fun because every team is going to beat every team. And you might be looking at, you know, a, a four or five loss in the big 10 champion, just because I don't feel like there's a clear favorite. If I were to pick one to break out and be that clear favorite and, and run through the conference, it would probably be Illinois, maybe Michigan, just based on the talent. Okay. And again, as Connor just said, Big Ten's kind of a head-scratcher. It really could be multiple different teams. As he said, only two teams really can win it. And we saw that last year with Wisconsin, who, had they not lost, I believe they lost to Nebraska on the last day of the year, uh, they ended up yeah. in a tie rather than winning the conference. But that was literally John Davis broke out, and they won. Like, they were in nobody's preseason. I, I think they were, like, preseason poll ninth or 10th. And, again, they ended up tying for the conference, for the conference title at least the regular season not the tournament but yeah big 12 i think definitely is the most unpredictable out of the two or out of the six excuse me out of all the major um conferences the pac-12 so i got a mailbag question again basically the question is how many teams in the pac-12 make the tournaments and i know along the cbs eye on college basketball podcast i actually talked about this in their pac-12 preview they said definitely four, maybe a fifth. And again, the question was, do more than four make it? So I guess my first question is, the preseason poll has UCLA, Arizona, Oregon, and USC as the top four. So do you gentlemen think that those four make the tournaments? And then do you think a fifth, like a Colorado or Arizona State or Washington State or Washington, those are the next four? Do you think one of those teams or even one of the lowest um, teams could get in? So Kyle, I'll start with you. Gosh, four is a good line. I think I think four is probably the right answer here. Um, could a fifth team sneak in? Yeah, definitely. I'm just not super confident in all those teams. Every team from Stanford to Colorado, Washington State, Utah, Arizona State, Washington, they all have question marks. It's either roster or it's coach. There's not a, a team I really trust in that grouping. I don't really like USC either, but they're they're usually there. They always make the tournament. So what are you going to do? Okay, Connor, what about you? You think four is a good number? I think if I were to be like set the line, it'd probably be four and a half over under. Um, I'd go with four. I am also not high on USC. I think if there wasn't the concern about uh, Iwachukwu's heart condition, um, I might be higher on them. Although you're relying a lot on Drew Peterson to go from kind of upper echelon role player to the guy at USC. Um, And I just feel like, maybe they they're that team that just doesn't make it um and of the other teams that kai listed off like the only two that i think have the combination required to make it is probably colorado just because tad boyle teams always i mean even when they lose you feel like tad boyle teams always just out compete and out effort every team they play um and then i think Harrison Ingram gives Stanford just that it factor that they might need to slide into that first four in, in Dayton. Um, I don't trust Washington because Mike Hopkins is there. I don't trust Arizona State because Bobby Hurley is there. <laughs> or well, I mean, yeah, Washington State. I don't know if they have the talent. I really like Kyle Smith. I don't know if they have the talent. Uh, Utah, I'd probably slide pretty low in the conference. So if I were to say the number would probably be four and it'd be USC unless Colorado or Stanford emerges. Okay. So the last conference we have is the SEC and they're pretty loaded this year. The SEC, I mean, Kentucky, Arkansas, they've been loaded for years, actually, Tennessee, Alabama, the one team that we started talking about them a little bit with Kyle Lofton. And uh, I talked about with um, the guys who New ceilings last night, how much I adore Alex fudge. So they brought in Kyle Lofton, mm-hmm. they brought in Will Richard, they brought in Alex Fudge, Colin Castleton's back. I mean, they have some guys. So I said I think Miami's the most slept on team in the country. 
I think them and Florida are both up there for the most slept on. So, Connor, what's your opinion of Florida? I mean, can they make noise or what? what Absolutely. Do you think? Absolutely. Um, I have them as a top 25 team. So did I. Um, Alex Fudge might be the best three point per game transfer in the country. Uh, we talk about year of the big. There are so many good bigs that I think Colin Castleton might be the most underrated player in the country because you view him like he's a really good player who is like not really noticed on a national scale because of Shibway and Baycott and Dickinson and Timmy and, and all the other transfer bigs and everyone going around. Um, I really like this this Florida team as as a Gonzaga grad and, and someone who covers the WCC. I really like Todd Golden as a coach. I think other than Randy Bennett, he was the only coach in the WCC that could coach against Mark Few and just ended up getting beaten by talent. Um, now give him the talent in a different conference where teams don't know necessarily aren't used to coaching against him and his prowess with using analytics and, and drawing up the right schemes for each team. I feel like Todd Golden's going to do a lot better in year one than people expect from this Florida team. Okay. Kai, what's your opinion of Florida? Yeah, hundred percent agree. I I'm definitely high in Florida. Um, it's becoming quite a sexy thing to be high in Florida now. So that bothers me, but <laughs> the, the fact remains uh, Todd Golden, huge fan of him. The transfers they added just so smart, right? They, he's a smart guy. And the guys they got, they were not, they're not obvious guys besides Lofton, like Richard Fudge, Trey Bonham. They just fit so well in the roster. It's exactly what they needed. Every single position they brought in, they still have some depth with Jones and Felder coming back. The team just really fits well together. And um, I, I think they could be <clears throat> as high as top three in the, in the SEC uh, surprise people and get there, crack that top three. Okay. Um, good. Yeah. I feel, I felt good about Florida. So you guys are just kind of reaffirming that for me because yeah. again, I'm still more of an NBA front office guy. I'm big on college basketball, but you guys are the experts here. That's why I got to bring you on. Um, anyway, so that that's really who I want to talk about for the power conferences, but I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Gonzaga and Houston. Two phenomenal teams. I'm going to kind of pit them against each other right now. In my rankings, I think Gonzaga's number one and Houston's number three with UNC in between somewhere. So, Kyle, I'll start with you. Who do you like more? I mean, I, I think they're definitely both national um, championship caliber teams. Both two, again, we keep calling so many coaches top five coaches because mm -hmm. there's that many good coaches in college basketball right now right. with Calvin Sampson and Mark Few. But What's your opinion? Gonzaga, Houston, who who do you like more, or is it a toss-up? Uh, it's close. I, I, I go Gonzaga. Um, it, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, reasons why, but uh, they I think they have the best player in the country in Timmy. I think they have a guy in Strother who could be an All-American as well. Uh, and then there's Mark Few, and he wins every year. Gonzaga's always at the top of the totem pole. Uh, I think they get people get fatigued from Gonzaga, I guess, always being at the top. And you always hear the narrative of the tournament. I just think it's a bunch I'm of, I'm going to keep buying. I'm going to keep, buying. I, I'm, I keep buying stock too. Their guards are good. Their bigs are good. They're deep. What else do you want? Houston's great too. I think Kelvin Sampson's the best coach in the country. I'd call him number one. I agree. Um, and he's right there. They're right there. Right. And their defense is always there. Um, Gonzaga's offense just goes to another level every single year. So I'll take Gonzaga by a nose. And Houston went to the Elite Eight last year with no Marcus Sasser and yeah, no um, about anybody, right? No Mark. Yep, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, Connor, I know you're a Gonzaga guy, as you just said, but what, what's your assessment of those two teams? Well, first of all, I, I don't think that I have a question about my top five. It's it's Bennett, Few, Sampson, <clears throat> Drew, and Self right now for me. Okay. Um, but I have Houston higher than Gonzaga. I have Houston two, Gonzaga three. Again, really close for me. It's Houston might have and, and I think they do have the best most consistent backcourt in the country like UNC's highs are really high from that backcourt but it's lows are, are not that high I think Houston wins in the backcourt I think their frontcourt is good enough given their system to win I think Samson's the best coach in the country um, so you put all that together I think they are going to be number one more weeks this season than any other team in the country um and i think i mean i have them winning the national championship even though i have them number two because i think they're for me a clear final four team they're going to be playing the final four in houston um you can't get any better than that but i really like this houston team for gonzaga 
there's just there's those questions in the backcourt. Like Rajir Bolton probably plays the most minutes of any player on Gonzaga, followed by Drew Timmy. But it's is Nolan Hickman the guy who can take up the mantle as the starting point guard? Is Malachi Smith going to be that number five guy that Gonzaga fans think he's going to be, or is he going to be more of that six seven guy that you saw with a Geno Crandall from a few years back and Admon Gilder? Um, can Anton Watson finally deliver a full season of consistent effort uh, on defense and on the boards? Julian Straw there for me as the, I don't want to say the third option because he's probably the second option, but Julian Straw there as that third guy in the trio with Rajir Bolton seems like the safest. But again, it's just, there's more question marks with Gonzaga for me than Houston. Okay. So favorite mid-major, Kai, I'll start with you. What team do you like? I I suppose for March Madness to make, to be a Cinderella team, but just overall, which which mid-major team do you like the most that is most equipped to make a St. Peter's-esque run? And again, St. Peter's Mm -hmm. is 15 seed, so they don't have to be, you know, that low of a seed. But like even 12, 13 seed, who do you like? I like Furman. Uh, I I like Furman every year because Bob Ritchie's, one of my favorite coaches in the country. Uh, I don't think they've ever made a tournament. They have. It's been 40 years. I think it's like 1980. Um, they've been on the cusp every year. They lost on a buzzer beater last season yeah. in the SoCon tournament. Oh, yeah, I, I, they should be heavy favorites this year. Their offense is going to be awesome. And they have the defensive player of the year in their conference coming back too in Slauson. So for me, it's Furman. And if they get a 12 seed, they're they a dangerous knockoff an opponent. Yeah. Um, mine, I put UAB. Uh, that's oh, yeah, sure. Uh, again, that's not really outside of the box. So, a lot <laughs> of people really like UAB this year, but a lot of smart people too. Um, and there's reason to. I mean, Jelly Walker's back. They brought in Eric Gaines, and I can't emphasize enough. I really do think backcourt play is what really wins you, you know, March Madness games. Mm-hmm. And I think Conference USA might get might be a multiple bid league this year with Western Kentucky with um Middle Tennessee and I know I'm missing somebody who's right at the top North Texas. Yeah North Texas exactly. North Texas showed they were able to do it a few years ago. So I I, I do think that even if they don't win the conference tournament they have a shot at getting in and making serious damage. So Connor who's your major team that you like? I, I want to say San Diego State, just because I really like San Diego State. I think they're the best team on the West Coast outside of Gonzaga. Um, I think they win the Maui and impress everyone really early. Um, and then people start jumping on the bandwagon. The one that I think is a little bit deeper, um, similar to, you know, in terms of like where they'll finish, similar to Furman. Um, I really like this UC Santa Barbara team. If okay. if Pasternak can figure out how to how to cash in on it. Because you have A.J. Mitchell, who is an, a great guard. Um, he's going to be a sophomore. He, he's he's incredible, ta- incredibly talented. Miles Norris and Andre Kelly in the front court. Um, two high major transfers. Andre Kelly, obviously, like one of the better bigs in the Pac-12 last year. He just happened to play for Cal. Um, that starting lineup, plus Calvin Wishart and, and Zach Harvey, uh, coming off of his injury after transferring last year from Cincinnati, like that top seven for UC Santa Barbara is really good. Um, the question is, is, is Pasternak a good enough coach to get them there? That's the question mark. And they have, they have challengers in Hawaii and UC Irvine in the big West. So they might not even make the tournament. They're like not overwhelming favorites, I think. But if the talent does cash in, I like UC Santa Barbara to be that team that they were two years ago where everyone's picking them to win in the first round, because I think the talent is there. It's it's just about coaching. Okay. So before I let you both out of here, you know, we need to put something on record. We we need people are going to keep receipts. I want final four predictions. I want national player of the year prediction. <laughs> and I want all American, all your preseason up. I'm popular tonight. <laughs> so... And then one of your preseason All-Americans. So I'll start with my final four. I have Gonzaga, who, as I said, I think they're just the best team in the country. They probably go seven really deep. Um, Houston, I can't emphasize it enough. The backcourt, how important it is. And, you know, Traymon Mark, Marcus Sasser. And Baylor, same reason. LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, Keontae George. And then I'm following that same theme of really good backcourts and... 
There's always a team that surprises us that makes a Final Four. I'm going to put Miami in there. I, I know Kai just gave some legitimate reasons to be concerned about them, but I think if Pat, similar to how they got to the lead this year, if Wong, I know McGusty's a big loss, but similar to how Wong and McGusty and Charlie Moore all clicked at the right time, I think if Pack and um, Wong could do that again, I, I think I, I could very easily just take UNC and have the ACC represented that way, but that wouldn't be any fun. So, Kai, what's your final four? Uh, you got three of my final four Gonzaga, Houston, Baylor for me, and then Kentucky. It's my fourth okay. one. Yep. Connor, what about you? Mine, the same three Baylor, Houston, Gonzaga. I'm going to go with Arkansas okay. because I think Muscleman teams, um, they, it's a, it's a season long build, but they're, they're ready and raring to go come March. And this is talent wise, the most talented team he's had. And so if he can get them to buy in, by that kind of end of January, early February date, where it always seems like Arkansas just flips the switch. Um, this is an Arkansas team that I think can make a really, really deep run in March. Uh, I have Houston over Baylor in the national championship. Uh, I think that's going to be how it ends up going. Okay. So then I'm going to give my first and second team All-Americans. So and my national player of the year is on my first team, obviously, and that's true team A. I just think Gonzaga is the best team in the country, and as Kai, one of you just said it, I forgive forgive me if it was Connor, but Drew Timmy uh, is probably the best player in the country. So I have Drew Timmy, I have Oscar Chibwe, I have Amado Baycott, Trace Jackson Davis, those four big men. And then I'm not a big proponent of putting together a first team or second team of guys that can't literally like field a lineup together. And I just pick four big men. But again, you're the big. And then my fifth guy put Marcus Asso at Houston. I don't think any surprises there. Then my second team, I put three guards. I put Kendrick Davis, Isaiah Wong, and Mike Miles with Zach Eady and Jalen Wilson. So, Connor, who's your national player of the year? And if you have All-Americans, feel free to give it. So my national player of the year is Marcus Sasser. Okay. Um, I, I think that he is going to be the best guard uh, in the country this year for the team that I think is going to enter the season, enter the tournament number one. So they're going to end the season number one. And there's not going to be this comparison that you have with these other bigs, right? Everyone's going to be looking for the best big. Marcus Sasser is going to run away with the guard vote. Um, my The rest of my first team All-Americans are Armando Baycott, Oscar Shibwe, uh, um, sorry, <laughs> uh, Hunter Dickinson, Okay. I, Andrew Timmy. I didn't even have I him. think Hunter Dickinson is better than Trace Jackson Davis. I think he I think he does well. Second team, Trace Jackson Davis, Jaime Jaquez for UCLA, RJ Davis for UNC, because if UNC is going to be as good as they are, one of those guards needs to step up. And I think it's Jaquez. I'm gonna go with Mike Miles as my I think that's five second teamers. I like I really like Mike Miles. Yeah, if I had a third team, I would have had Caleb Love on it. So same idea. Um, I, I, I'm just not sure. I like Houston more. I like Gonzaga more. So that's why um, I, I think UNC might disappoint just a little bit. So that's why I would have them on third team rather than second team, which they don't even do a third team, do they? I think they just do first and seconds. I think they do. Do they? Because okay. yeah, when yeah. I'm looking at preseason rankings, I see some people project first and second, some project first, second, third. So I don't know. I, I did three, <laughs> but okay, Kai, who do you have? Uh, Timmy's my player of the year. Uh, I'm not sure he's won it, right? He's been in the conversation for two no, straight years. No, won it last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Garza right before that. Um, so I think this is the year he finally gets it. Um, however, Shibway is the first national player of the year coming back, I think, in however long. So it'll be interesting to see how the voters go. The voters are not that informed, guys. They're national media folks. They don't pay attention to the sport. Uh, my my All-Americans are same as yours, Steve, actually. Sheboy, Temi, Baycott. Uh, Jackson Davis and Sasser. I think that's the AP All-Americans as well. Okay. So we know those are going to be incorrect. Uh, the second team, I have Hawkes, Dickinson, Flagler from Baylor, uh, Edie, and Mike Miles. Okay, before we go, one of you just tell me on Jaime Hawkes. I've never been a big fan of his. I, I think it's because since I'm a front office guy, I do a lot of scouting for the NBA. And sure, he's a glue guy. He he reminds me a lot of, I don't want to compare people, but he reminds me a lot of what Tyree Smarton gave UConn last year. It's just like, he doesn't do anything wrong. He knows how to play basketball, but he doesn't have an elite skill either. So 
one of you to sell me on how my hack is as an all-American. Um, I, I I think he is. How do I put this without sounding over-exaggerated? He's probably the best glue guy we've had in the last 10 okay, years. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's a like glue guy. He, he is a glue guy, but he is that glue guy. Okay. Like, I mean, and he can score, right? If anyone's going to push him off, it's because Tiger Campbell emerges as the best pure point guard in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see anyone else on UCLA that is really going to push Jaime Jaquez for, for those kind of minutes. You know, he, he he's not going to average a triple-double, but there are going to be two or three games where he gets a triple-double um, just purely because of what he does. Defensively, he's stout. Offensively, he's really consistent if he can stay healthy. Um, I really like him. Uh, I like him more than any other team, any other player in the Pac-12, and I think that's going to help him a lot because you're going to look at the Pac-12, you're going to look at Jaime Jaquez or Tiger Campbell, as that clear Pac-12 player of the year. And whoever wins that award, I think, makes an All-American team. Yeah. Kai, anything to add on Jaquez or anybody else? No, not really. Uh, yeah, he does everything. He does literally everything. He works his ass off, like just constantly diving on the floor. Um, he had a down shooting year, but I don't think it's indicative. Two years ago, he was great. And with Juzang gone, he's going to average 17, 18 a game, six or seven boards three or four assists, he's going to put up really, really big numbers, which I think is going to right, bring everyone's attention to it. He's going to be the man this year, right, right, with Campbell. Okay. So this was our, this was my second episode of the college basketball season preview. I wouldn't have anybody else but these two gentlemen really get into the weeds with me and break down some, some of these teams, some of these players. You could find Kai on Twitter at... Kai, K-Y underscore 3MW for Three Man Weave. Go check them out. You can find Connor on Twitter at HoopsHopeCBB. He's with HeCheck. Kai is with Three Man Weave. Obviously, everyone go by the Almanac. If you're into this, there's so much parody in college basketball this year. I can't emphasize it enough. I'm so excited for this season. So, gentlemen, Kai, I'll start with you. Is there anything you would like to promote? The Almanac. Go buy the Almanac. Yes. Still have, uh, what, 11 days left till the season starts. Uh, really the best resource you can you can buy to learn about every single team. 1,300 words written on every single team, even the little guys. Um, there's also other stuff like coach polls and interesting things like that, national content. So uh, that link is on our Twitter bio, at 3MW underscore CBB. Just click that and, and buy it. <laughs> Connor, anything you want to plug? Buy the Almanac. I mean, it's... It's the best. It's the best place to go for for our preseason um, content, right? And I, I know Heat Check's putting out. I think Brian's putting out some bold predictions and stuff. We're doing our our podcast, but the Almanac really has it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's not just Kai and myself. It's the five four other guys um, from Heat Check. It's the two others from Three Man Weave. It's Jeff Goodman, Rob Doster, Sean Paul. So a lot of great guys who know their stuff. And and, and I think it's one of the pieces of content that i've been a part of that i'm most proud of so go buy the almanac it's worth it of course everyone you heard them go buy the almanac go on sportsethos.com subscribe to our fantasy pass it's only 5.99 a month if you're a serious fantasy basketball player serious gambler um i had as i said i had matthew winnick on i'm going to release that episode over the weekend we talked about how we could use ken palm to our advantage Mm -hmm. to bet games and win some money so we all like money Go use that money. Go buy the Almanac. Go subscribe to Sports Ethos um, Fantasy Pass. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. And I will talk to you guys next episode. You can find me on Twitter at Pod, And I'll talk to you next episode.